Hello everyone, it's Shahid here from The Creative Floor and welcome back to another podcast. We have plenty of amazing job opportunities later on in this podcast, so please listen out for those a little later on. Today we have 21 grams in the house. Um, That is not a bag of drugs, for those who haven't heard of them before. They are a fabulous health and wellness ad agency group. And we are joined by the wonderful Andrea Brancini, who's VPACD. You're Andrea. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure. And we also have Brittany Bella, who's the VP Account Director. You're right, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Oh, excited to have you. And we also are joined by Frank Mazzola, co-global creative director, chief creative officer, rather. Um, welcome, Frank. Thank you. First first time caller, long time listener. I don't know if you guys do that in, this, in the UK. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure and welcome. Um, I love having American accents on my podcast because it makes them sound really professional. Out of interest, I've always wondered why you actually called 21 grams. What's what's the what's the story behind that? Yeah, it's actually um, it's I think it's a pretty good one. So basically, in 1907, there was a doctor who uh, did an experiment. He wanted to prove the existence of a soul. So the main thing that he that he felt like he needed to show was that it had some mass. So what he did was he weighed people right before and right after death accounted for any of the, the liquids or gases or everything that you could possibly account for. And there was an average of 21, 21 grams that he could never quite place. And that became kind of synonymous with the, uh, the human spirit. Wow. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Everything at the agency is really built around that thought that there's 21 grams of a person that we can affect. Um, and it drives all of our work. Wow. That's really cool. I had no idea. I feel so stupid by not for not knowing that, but thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> I think that's a really wonderful segue, actually, into why we're here. You got in touch with us a few weeks ago, and you were really excited about a project, and you shared it with me, with Tom Richards, who's also your partner. Yep. And it was a little wonderful case study called Unspoken Symphony, and we'll get into the project and, and we'll get behind the story. But I just loved it for so many reasons. I think, well, I loved it because it was a great piece of work. Um, I loved it because there was a real client behind it, Greenwich Biosciences, who I believe are a big um, sort of leader in cannabinoids that help conditions such as epilepsy. And I just thought, A, it was just a wonderful thing. And also you said that you'd got it out during lockdown and during a pandemic. That was really brilliant because I think we've all, you know, found it quite challenging uh, working at home and being in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in an environment of a pandemic and a lockdown. And and actually getting something like this out during that time is it's pretty awesome. So I just thought it'd be fantastic if you could maybe share your story, some of your insights, and any learnings that our audience could benefit from, and selfishly myself. So we are going to share the full case study on our YouTube page, and we've got a link in the bio of this podcast. Um, And we'll also pin it for the first couple of weeks on launch of this uh, podcast on our Facebook page and Twitter channel. We do have an audio case study, so let's hear it, and, and then we'll chat about it. Thousands with severe epilepsy struggle with motor skills and communication. Many are completely nonverbal, like Riley. Her family connects through music, but Riley's condition makes it impossible for her to speak, 
write, or play an instrument. Until now. Greenwich Biosciences presents Unspoken Symphony. Lead technologist and former Walt Disney Imagineer explains. Like many nonverbal children, we discovered Riley loves to paint. So we created an application that turns artwork into a musical experience. The algorithm analyzes the shapes and lines on the page, the brightness, the contrast, what dominant colors there are, and the density, and then translates them into musical features like tempo, chords, musical styles, the timing, and the pitch. With Unspoken Symphony, Riley's simple watercolor painting becomes an elaborate musical composition. Now, the entire nonverbal community can experience it too. And each melody is unique. Here is Self-Portrait by Ella. And Watercolor by Zora. And Family Tree by Stephen. Over 5,500 unspoken symphonies have been created and counting. See what your art has to say at unspokensymphony.com. Fantastic. It's a wonderful case study and it's a fantastic piece of work. So let's start from the very beginning. (laughs) Who wants to start? Who wants to go? How did it all start? Sure. Um, I'd love to tell you how the idea came to be. Um, it's it's a pretty fun story, actually. So to go way back to where it all started, um, imagine we were back at the agency and I sat next to my partner, Patrick Obando at the time. And um, we were new to the agency, getting to know the families um, that Greenwich Biosciences works with. And we were just kind of watching some of the videos that 21 Grams had created. Um, And one of the videos was of this little girl named Riley, who's nonverbal. And it was just such a beautiful story. She was sitting on her father's lap and he was strumming guitar and she was looking up at him. And he said, it's not easy to get to know someone who can't talk. You slow down, it makes you appreciate the little things. And just that quote hit us so hard. Um, And Patrick and I just kind of throughout the next couple of days, we kept turning to each other and saying, I can't, I can't get that line out of my head. I mean, it still makes me emotional talking about it. Um, We just couldn't stop thinking about it. We kept saying, well, how do you get to know someone who can't talk? I can't even imagine not being able to speak to my own child. Uh, So then just randomly a few days later, Patrick showed me a project he had been working on. And it was a rainy day in New York and he was on a rooftop looking down at the street and he saw people walking with umbrellas and he took a picture of it. And for some reason, it reminded him of music notes. So those umbrellas, the way that they line the streets, he said they kind of looked like music notes. And he thought, well, what if I try to put this photograph to music? So he did it by hand at first. He just overlaid sheet music over top of this photograph, plotted points where the umbrellas were, and played it. 
And he just randomly showed me this project. And then that was it, you know, kind of went about our days. And then a few days later, we were watching another one of the videos and we noticed in the background another little girl named Piper, also with a severe form of epilepsy. She just had a self-portrait in the background of the video. It wasn't even a main part of the video. And we, we said, oh my God, these, these kids, they like to paint. They can paint. They can express themselves through paint and art. What if we could turn that art into music? And, and that was just that first light bulb moment of applying that idea from the umbrellas to the artwork from these nonverbal children. Um, so we started again by hand, just overlaying the sheet music over top, plotting points where the lines intersect to see if it would even work. Wow. So is Patrick a musician? No, actually. He's just one of those people who, you know, looks at umbrellas and sees music notes. Just yeah. <laughs> a curious person, you know, always asking questions. And, and I feel, I think we had kind of built that um rapport like we would walk into the office every morning and show each other random cool things we saw and and mm. we were just new to the agency and excited to kind of look at the world a little differently like Frank said earlier kind of find the soul and and the heart of the ideas where where are we date wise i september 2019 Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. So you, you've sort of made a couple of observations. Then what, then what happens? So then we thought we have something here, something interesting. And we started, of course, putting a deck together and trying to get the idea on paper. And I think that's when Brittany saw us huddled together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I used to swing by like every day to say hi to, you know, Andrew and Patrick. But I remember this day they were like huddled really close together and they were so excited. You could tell their eyes were like lighting up and I had to know what they were doing. So, of course, I asked them. And they pulled me into the dive bar, which was one of our old conference rooms. And they shared the you know, umbrella project that Patrick had worked on and the idea of turning art into music and kind of just went off from there. I fell in love with the idea the second they told me about it. Wow. So you, you, you're, you're the main account lead on this particular brand, right? Is that correct? On this particular project, yes. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so then what? Then what happens? So you fell in love with the idea. Then what happens? So then after that, I believe right before um, they shared the idea with me, um, they shared it with a couple of the other creative you know, team members. So at that point, we had our internal team you know, all excited about it. Um, we needed to make sure that it was, of course, doable before bringing it to our clients. So we did some research, um, lots of cold calls, Patrick called a whole bunch of different developers to see if they've worked on anything like this. And after like 50 something calls, he you know, found a partner to help us do the initial code development. And once we knew that it was doable, we then you know, brought it in our clients. When they were all here for a meeting, we brought it and presented it to them that way. That's really interesting. So when you phoned up these coders and you basically sold in the concept, did they do it on spec or did you have to pay them before you went and presented it to the client? Just talk to us a little bit about that process. Yeah, sure. Um, so actually, as Brittany said, he had called over 50 developers and everyone was super excited but had never attempted anything like this until 
we found one developer, Olivia, who had actually created something where taking a photograph and just trying to get some kind of sound out of it, but it almost sounded like nails on a chalkboard, mm. um, just very like harsh sounding. And, and so she was super excited by just the idea of doing something like this for um, these children who are nonverbal and also pushing the idea to make it much more musical. Um, and she, she was on board pretty much after the first conversation. Um, and we were able to bring her on, um, as, as a contractor with 21 grams. How did you actually present it and how did it, how did it look? The code itself? Yeah. Cause I, I imagine, I, well, I can't even imagine like how you would actually go and present it with a developer. Did, did they profile a, a dummy picture with a soundtrack just to give an idea of how it might work or how, how did you, how did you do that? Oh yeah. So great question. The, the very first presentation, um, even internally and then to the clients was still, um, Patrick had kind of built it himself, um, and done that initial prototype of just laying the sheet music over the image and, and, manually he actually by hand plotted all the points where the lines intersected um and and showed the potential of what it could sound like but of course there's so many different layers of decision making and once we brought the developer in that's when we started to realize just how many human decisions still have to come in and be factored into the code so does it pick up on a color? Does it pick up on a shape? Does it pick up on the thickness of the lines or whether it's a watercolor versus like pointillism kind of thing or like an abstract drawing or, or if there's an intensity to the artwork, does that show up in the music that comes out of it? So there were a lot of decisions that had to be made along the way uh, with the developer on board. Yeah, that's great. So so talk to us about the client meeting then. What happens? So at the client meeting, um, well, one, just for a little bit of background, we we definitely before that client meeting, we, we really thought about how best to present this to make sure that it would be received well. Um, you know, this was towards the end of the year. We had wrapped up our brand planning and locking in our budgets for the next year. We already kind of presented any of our newer big ideas, but then this one, of course, you know, we needed to get in front of our client partners. We then showed our clients the affinity that it could have and how it really supports and stands behind what Greenwich, you know, stands for as a company. They support patients beyond medicine what better way and what better thing to bring to the community that supports people beyond medicine than to create these moments for these families. So at that point, you know, they really couldn't say no. They, they were scared along with us. We we're like, is this even a hundred percent going to be doable the way we're talking about it? You know, it's a, it's a leap of faith for them to, you know, give us budget to explore this. It, there wasn't much that we could really do to, to prove or test it ahead of time, you know, we really had to create it and see, you know, does it fly or does it flop? And, you know, what do we do from there? So, you know, in that meeting, we really just knew we had to make sure that they fell in love with it enough to, you know, let us continue exploring it and doing discovery on it. 
and then bring them along the journey with us as we create this because it was brand new. So we had to bring them with us. Did you have any pushback internally within your own agency or within the client teams at all? A little bit naturally from you know the client side you know we we had so many ideas that we could do with this so you know then the numbers and dollar signs go up and up and it maybe limited us a little bit in the very beginning with you know how much budget we had but in the end it really did keep it focused on the community and for Riley um, but I would say that was probably the biggest thing and then also initially you know does this become its own work stream and entity or does it join with one of our other unbranded work streams or does it become branded or is it a corporate thing you know those conversations definitely were had up front and in the end you know i'm so happy that they you know decided that it is an unbranded platform that's really just supposed to support our patients beyond medicine so that's where we netted out with them but yeah there were those were definitely some of the the hesitancies and you know things we had to work through together in the beginning yeah, I think um, it's it's really pretty remarkable that it was an unbranded initiative. It's not directly selling the medicine. It's it's helping the the families. It's almost like a gift to the community. But I think even from that very first pitch, it was the first time that I've ever been in a meeting where we got applause at the end of the presentation, which was amazing. So I think they just felt that this was so aligned with their mission of innovating beyond medicine. They, they say they put patients first and, and they just saw the value in it right off the bat, even though there were challenges along the way and they were willing to work with us, which was really wonderful about this project. So, so we went into it knowing that we still had to create the code. We still had to build a beta version of the site and test it with the community and they were willing to to go through that process in the in the presentation of the the deck and how thought through it, it all was when the team presented it you know every little question that might come up they had answers for and it became you know very much less like oh that's creative that's interesting and more like oh we can we can do this and it's possible and here are the reasons why we should here's how it fits with the strategy it was everything that you could possibly think of was kind of what's kind of thought of before the client presentation. And that I think made everybody a lot more comfortable with it too. Had you had any, sorry, if this is a silly question, but had you had any idea of the sort of impact that it would have on, on these, on these people before presenting it to the client or was it, was it just very much a gut instinct? It was definitely a gut instinct. We, we just knew that it would by all of the conversations that we've had with the various families over time. We just knew that it was something that would you know speak to them and mean the world to them. So for sure, it was more of just a gut reaction. But then shortly after we you know started, once we had a little bit down for the website, what it could look like, what it could be we shared those initial thoughts with a few caregivers um, who we were working with. And after they, you know, really like shared their love for it, they were giving us ideas of, you know, how to make it better, what we can look into and consider. And then another caregiver was saying, you know, she wanted to share it with her son's music therapist and how this is so incredible. And she actually connected us with his music therapist and then we spoke to her and her team of five other people. And they, again, then validated 
just, you know, how beneficial this could be for the community, the impact that music has on the brain, especially for people living with epilepsy, you know, that's been proven in many studies over time. So then as we continued, it was just justifying the idea more and more. We're very connected to the families that um, even on a project like this, that's unbranded or whether it's a medicine we're we kind of work very closely with the patients and, and the caregivers. And we have our ambassador team that speaks to them almost on a daily basis. Um, so we were able to speak internally to our ambassador team and just get their first instinct of how this would impact the community. And then, um, like Brittany said, we, we had a lot of calls with caregivers to run the idea by them and get their first reactions. How did you go about making sure that the music was as great as it could be? Because it's so personal, isn't it? Music is so personal to, to all of us. You know, what, what one person likes, you know, another person won't like. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was definitely an evolution. And that was something that we, we wanted to continue to push. So we first wanted to just do a kind of a proof of concept of the idea and a beta site. Uh, to launch with the community and with advocacy groups and and get feedback. Because um, all along the way, it's always been very connected to the fact that this is for the community, for the families, and how can we work with them to keep making it better. Um, and one of the biggest points of feedback that we received, um, as Brittany mentioned, after we started talking to parents of children who are nonverbal and, and music therapists who who work with nonverbal children, um, we learned that giving them an element of independence was really important. Um, So while we wanted to maintain that magic that this software is reading your artwork and creating a melody from it, um, we also wanted to work in a little bit of an element of choice where you could choose a leading instrument and a secondary instrument. Um, and the music therapist was saying that this is something that could be really valuable for a child or adult who's nonverbal if, if they can kind of select the button and then hear a response and then start to make that connection that their artwork is, is playing a sound. Um, and then you can choose whether it's percussion or strings or harp and, and create a melody that's uniquely yours and music to your ears, so to speak. Um, And Brittany also um, brought in a music producer to work with. I'd love for her to talk through how that turned out too. Yeah. Um, So yeah, as Andrea was saying, you know, as we, as we expanded and really let the community help us improve the code and what would be needed, um, we pulled in Amber Brown, who um, was a former Disney Imagineer. So she was helping improve the code But then to support that from more of a musical standpoint, we pulled in um, two music producers, Steve Dickey and Alexandra Cheeger. Um, And they're two Grammy Award winning producers and their expertise and just insights really helped push this to the next level. Things that we might not have been able to hear or pick up on or how to mix certain instruments together to ensure that the output would be something that you would want to listen to. And, you know, even just figuring out the exact sounds for each note, they helped us create and develop all of that into the code. So really leaning on experts from the music therapist to our community, 
um, to Amber and, you know, Steve and Alex, all of the experts together really helped us push this to the next level and really bring it to where we always pictured it could be. I mean, this is a bit that I'm really fascinating because I'm so naive to, to actually how music is created. Did you dissect it down to colours, you know, uh, how heavy the delivery of the paint was to a particular sound? I mean, how, how does it actually work? How does it connect music notes to the picture or the painting? So the whole initial idea is that using the Fibonacci spiral that overlays on the most dense and focal point of the artwork. And then it kind of spirals out from there. So figuring out, you know, what is the primary color? Are they harsh strokes, light strokes, you know, things like that. From there, the colors and the density then inform the instruments in pitch. And then you know, really it just that's the way that we're connecting, you know, the output of the music to the art. So it's truly every single decision that the artist is making is now tied to that output. Wow. So you were having conversations about this is what red sounds yes. like. Or this is what blue mm-hmm. sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> we were. It's true. Wow. So I, I, I imagine now you're in you're you're in lockdown while all this stuff is going on. Is that correct? Yes. Did that have an effect and an impact on on the project? And if it did, what was that impact? I think we were all from the very beginning just so connected to to Riley and wanting this to exist in the world for her. I think that helped push us along. Um, so probably in a way, it might have benefited the project because it allowed us to bring in these other experts that maybe we wouldn't have thought to that we'd have such easy access to before because you could just hop on a Zoom call and and have those conversations. Um, but I think there were just so many bits and pieces of it along the way that, um, of course, being in lockdown is a challenge because you can't just all get in a room together and and talk through things. But we were able, we actually at one point, right, Brittany, we had daily coffee <laughs> every morning, <laughs> every day. It yeah. was our pre-hot sheet, hot sheet on just unspoken symphony every single day. Yeah, I guess, it, I guess in many respects, it was almost a godsend having this on your plate while lockdown was on because it was something really positive to look forward to. Yeah, so I think that, that sort of makes sense. So did you have Riley involved um, while you were developing this? I think that's actually, that's what I was going to say. Probably the biggest negative to this happening during lockdown is that none of us had the chance to meet Riley. And I remember thinking, I just can't wait to meet her in, in person and how emotional that moment would be. But we did the the shoot all remote with a drop kit arriving at their door that was fully sanitized. Obviously, um, she's immunocompromised. We didn't want to risk anything with her. And um, yeah, so even just seeing her live on the feed, I remember being a very beautiful moment. But um, we we did work very closely with her parents throughout the process. Um, from that very first video that inspired the idea, we knew that her father, her ta- her dad, Tim, uh, is a musical person. He plays guitar. Um, it's a very musical family. They play piano. We kind of saw that in that first video. So um, we told them about the idea initially, and they were so excited and honored to be part of it. I remember him saying, oh, my my son just plays video games all day. And look, my my girl who 
can't speak inspired a whole project and, and a website and is helping the community. So they were really blown away. I mean, I must say, I mean, I actually gave it a go myself because I've got two little kids um, and I've just got a little drawing from my five-year-old on my desk and I just thought, oh, I'll give this a go <laughs> to see what happens. It is amazing, actually. I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but it almost felt like it gave the picture a second life. And actually hearing music connected to this little drawing that sort of sits on my on my desk was really cool. I was like, I'm going to I'm going to set that as my alarm or like a ringtone, you know, because it's just it just brings up a really lovely memory. And I'm you know, I'm not I don't I'm I'm, I'm not I don't have epilepsy and, you know, and, and my kids don't either. But actually just the mechanics of taking a, a picture and and sort of in having it reinterpreted in music was really lovely and I didn't really think I was going to feel an emotional attachment to it in the in the way that I did so it definitely yeah I can certainly ima- I can't imagine how amazing that must have felt for her parents um first time uh doing that so that's really cool from a time perspective where are we now so how long did it take you to to develop all the, all the beta sites to the point where you're presenting something almost done to to Riley and her parents so we had the initial like signed brief was March of 2020 and then we launched the beta site for site in September 2020 oh right okay cool all right and so what was your what were your clients reactions to it the clients absolutely loved it. They were getting you know, flooded by emails from you know, people in the sales force, from our advocacy group partners and other families just saying how much this touched them and how amazing this project was. And then, um, you know, people started asking about what's next. You know, what are you guys going to do next? And that just really kept all of the momentum going from September into, you know, this year and just us keep you know enhancing and making things better and yeah it was really just a roller coaster from there the community absolutely loved it we actually had one caregiver reach out to us and say that it brought tears to her eyes when she she actually printed out the music sheet and framed it um and then gave it to her father as a gift and that alone just seeing seeing it come to life, everything and more than we ever could have imagined with the idea. I think that that's, that's what meant the most. And just seeing the reaction from the community, like those are the best results you can ever ask for. And I think too, um, something that I don't think we fully expected and possibly even the client didn't expect when they presented it to their sales force, um, just the response from their own employees and just the amount of questions in the chat. I remember when one of the clients presented it and showed, um, walked through, they all got to upload a piece of artwork and, and hear it for themselves. And of course, everyone was like, how, how does it work? How did you think of this? But I think what was really cool was just them being so proud to work for a company that, that is doing something like this for the community. Um, so even just for Greenwich as a company to, to show that that's where they're committed to giving back and, and giving something like this to the community without selling anything, I think even for the employees, they were blown away. It's such a, a great lesson, I think, for pharmaceutical companies of, you know, there's always this emphasis on, you know, driving the brand. What do, what do people need to know? But, you know, there's this space that, 
you know, medicine can't do. And these brands really are there to serve the community or serve the people that they're trying to reach or the audience in some way. And, you know, this is something where any, any brand can kind of look for that space in between and say, how can we help? And, you know, again, hearing Andrew and Brittany talk about even the response, it just makes a brand feel so much more important. And it's kind of a long game. You know, you're not going to see a big sales uptick right after something like this. People are going to love you for it. There's a big difference between those two things. And that idea of brand love and exciting people internally and making people feel like you actually care um, is huge for a company. And, you know, hopefully this is a trend in the future where this is a big creative space for, for healthcare companies and brands to start thinking of themselves as not just that that treatment, but it's a whole experience and people can get so much more out of it. So, you know, in that sense, it's something that I think we hope all companies take something away from that. Yeah, you're so you're so right. I mean, I think, yeah, I think you 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 articulated that really, really well, Frank. You know, it's it's that whole you know saying, isn't it? It's like don't 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 tell me you care. Show me, or, or don't tell me you love me. Show me, and and I think that's exactly what what this does. Do you think? I, I know you said that you you sort of beta tested it, and you were you know you were you were trialing um, the software and, and the platform out, but it didn't go through the normal rigorous market research um, <laughs> tunnel, no. right? And 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 do you think that's perhaps why it came out? the way it did because you didn't go through something which is frankly quite artificial and can be slightly insane at times do you think there's a lesson there yeah I was going to just say I, like this was something that you know doing standard market research I feel like wouldn't really have changed the idea that much we needed just to create it and you know get the first pass of the code out there to the community and you know see how they responded to it see their reactions to it. Um, I think there's no better way than just, you know, speaking to them and getting it out there naturally instead of us trying to force fit it into it a few people behind a screen, you know, are thinking. Um, but for something like this, there's nothing really to test until it's done. You know, in the first pass of this, we were really focused on, let's just, you know, get one instrument in there and, and see what it sounds like. And that's really what, we went live with and that's what the beta was all about it's a it's a different type of market research really you know and and it's kind of i think the industry kind of falls into this thing where market research picks a winner you know and you're not really confident about the idea or um project or angle that you have but when you are and you know this is kind of the idea you really look to learn and and that was probably the purpose of market research from the beginning not to to choose something, really the marketing team should be able to do that, you know, and do gut check type things, but just to learn. And, and in this project, for sure, the way it was, was tested, like, you know, Andrea and Brittany said, putting it in front of caregivers, getting a response, putting a beta out, seeing how the community feels, all that feedback was really, really helpful and useful um, in making it better. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have gotten to where it was without some of that, you know, personal feedback and the people that would actually be using it. Um, but it, you know, market research these days is kind of a, a cloudy thing where, you know, you put four things in research and you come out with a winner and you really don't yeah, learn anything. I think that from goes it. back a little bit too, Frank, to in the beginning when we were talking about 
you know, it was just that gut reaction. Like we knew the community would respond well to this because we knew the families. If we didn't have those connections with the families and know them so well, where we were picking up the phone and chatting with them, you know, every few days of the week to work on projects, like we really built relationships with them where that was, that was really, you know, the driving force for it. We knew what it would mean to them. So no market research would ever replace that. You know, once we had the beta, we could, of course, enhance it and improve it with the feedback. But initially, it was just we knew based on the relationships that we formed. Yeah, that's fascinating, actually. And I think that's probably something that I'm sort of taking out from this is if there is anyone out there listening to this, and they're working on a, on an account, and they might have, you know, an idea that really might benefit the community, actually building that relationship with the community actually arms you with those insights and maybe to reassure that gut instinct as well to to go to your clients and go, this is the right thing to do, you know, because we're hand in hand with with the end user here. I think that's what I'm hearing anyway. So I think that's really, that's really insightful. Okay, well, I think it's time for one of our job opportunity shout outs. The Creative Floor Superstars is our talent recruitment platform. And we have some amazing opportunities in New York for creatives at all levels and all levels for client services. So if you're interested in a new opportunity, please email Peter at superstars at the creative floor. And if you want to reach the ears of 15,000 people with any opportunities that you might have, please do get in touch. We're sort of almost just under a year, I I imagine, right, from sort of the concept of standing above a building, looking at some umbrellas to then, you know, pushing this thing out and watching Riley and her parents experience uh, this amazing idea. You've got some really incredible stats in in a pretty short amount of time. Do you want to maybe chat about that a little bit and how that happened? Sure. Um, so yeah, we're actually, I know, uh, in the case study video that you played before, it said 5,000 melodies created. We're actually at almost 8,000 melodies created at this point. So, I mean, the momentum's still going, but when we started, there was, um, our foundation advocacy partners, they had spread the word within the community. We did a small satellite media tour. So we saw a little bit of pickup from there. And then um, once some of the you know caregivers and stuff started spreading the word on Facebook, it just every month we just kept seeing you know more and more submissions. Um, and then we actually opened the gallery up to all users now, so anybody could submit to the gallery and be featured in the gallery. So once we expanded even more outside of you know the rare and severe epilepsy community, that's when you know more and more uploads are just every day so what is next then what is next for this platform i think at this point we should let the community decide i would love to you know talk to more people in the community see where else we can go with this how it can help them um also partnering with the music therapist is there another you know layer to this that can also help with more of an educational benefit so i feel like the, the possibilities are endless at this point was there any, were there any moments in this project where you thought it's not going to happen? No. <laughs> I mean, there were definitely times where like, Andrew and I would be on the phone really late, like over a weekend or something, just like, oh my gosh. But at the end of every conversation, we always, always, always said, we got this. This is going to happen. We're going to do this for Riley. We, there was no doubt that we were you know, not going to do this. Like we had to do this for Riley. 
it just had to exist in the world. We had this fire inside of us. Like this just has to exist in the world. That's great. I guess we all kind of stumble across these these rare projects that have got a huge amount of meaning and have got a you know they're very sort of purpose driven and and sometimes they they are a lot easier to get out than you know your standard um brand campaign massive congratulations as i say like i played with it with one of my kids drawings and it is it is a really wonderful platform and i do encourage anyone out there to to do go and play on the website what do you want to remind everyone what that url is so they can go and visit it at the same time one <laughs> two three unspokensymphony.com. Andrew, you left me hanging there. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the www dot. I didn't know how to time it. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I would say as, as, as kind of a, you know, a thought just to get out, just in terms of the, the collaboration on the team and it being, you know, Brittany being so close And a lot of times at agencies, it's kind of, you know, the creative team is off doing it, doing their thing. Account person, can you set up a meeting or something like that? And really, I think, again, not not necessarily a lesson from this project, but just a lesson of of great work in general is like it, it comes from a team. It's never... It's never just one department. It's it's really a collaboration, and and when it's done, it belongs to everybody. It doesn't just belong to the creatives. Oh, you did this interesting project. Like this was a full full collaboration um, from departments, and I thought it was just kind of beautiful how it came together and how close the team was throughout the whole thing. You know, this is one project of many different angles that you know different companies and agencies can kind of look at and say. There's a lot more that we can be doing. You know, we don't have to. Um, there, there's so much room for creativity and health uh, that I think people miss, where it can be useful, meaningful, and for the audience, not necessarily for us. You know, and our egos, or for you know our clients because they said so. It's you know, really thinking and always thinking about the brand, not expecting somebody to ask you to do something, but but bringing ideas forward that you know, you really think are going to be helpful. And, you know, that feels like where the industry's going, but I think it's really going to be going there in the future where we see a lot more of these things and and just brands become more valuable to people. The other reason why I really wanted you guys to, to talk about this is because it, it almost feels like a really fantastic example in terms of utilizing digital media you know, like everyone is stuck at home. Everyone's accessing information right now via their phone or via their laptops. And, you know, I think when when lockdown happened, healthcare and pharma agencies were really struggling because, you know, most of the creative opportunities from a, from a pharma perspective always happened at congresses or things that were physical experiences. I thought this was just really of the time and just really wonderful and a really great showcase of how you can create something that can be so scalable. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about it. It's, I mean, anyone across the world can use this. And even if you, you know, you don't have epilepsy, but you're still having conditions where you perhaps can't talk and it's just a different form of expression through something that only you can do is, is really cool. Yeah, I thought I think this is a really nice, a nice little example of what can be done in the new world that we find ourselves in. 
I just want to thank you all. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you, Andrea, for sharing your story. I want to congratulate you again and your client, of course, <laughs> for, for, for actually, you know, allowing you to do this and believing in, in going beyond just, you know, drugs and really serving a massive purpose to the community. So I want to congratulate you again. And thank you so much for spending your, your morning <laughs> with me today. Yeah, I just wish you all the very best of luck with this project and with this client moving forward. Yeah, oh, that was great. No, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure I sound like an asshole. In the what am I even talking about? But you know, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm an asshole, but I'll hang back for a while. Maybe I'll get back. No, you, you, you didn't sound like an asshole. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you want to share your story on our next episode, please get in touch at awards at the creative floor dot com. <laughs>